Most small, medium-sized business owners are so busy working in the business that they can't imagine how they would take time outside of it to do something like a peer advisory board. They're struggling with a lack of time, but they're not making any changes to facilitate it. Welcome to In the Thick of It Toolbox, the special series where inspiration meets implementation. Here, we don't just share success stories, we equip you with proven tools and strategies from seasoned founders, turning entrepreneurial dreams into actionable plans. Prepare to be enabled and empowered on your journey. You're not just listening to a podcast, you're gaining access to an essential toolbox for your business success. Let's dive in. On our very first episode of our Toolbox series, we sit down with a guest who's very special to me. Shortly after I started my business, I began working with Jim Woodward as my business coach and chair of my owner's peer group through an organization called Convene. In this interview, Jim talks about five things to consider when looking for a group and a coach that's right for you. One of the things that our founder guests have said with consistency is that it is critical to have a mentor. My experiencing with coaching and peer groups further underscores that. Welcome to In the Thick of It Toolbox. Today's episode of In the Thick of It is very special for a couple of reasons. This is the first of what we're calling our Toolbox series. And the idea behind this is that we want to equip founders in ways beyond just sharing stories of other founders. And when we find things that have been successful, either for us and in our business or for things that other founders have talked about, we want to expose these things in a different way. And so today... I am very, very excited and humbled to welcome Jim Woodward. Jim and I have known each other for almost 20 years now and known each other in different capacities. Jim has been a mentor, a coach, and a group facilitator that I've been a part of yeah, for about six years now. And so I owe a lot to Jim in terms of things that I've learned directly from him, learned being a part of the group. and. Today, we're going to talk about coaching and peer groups, and that's something that, that Jim has a lot of expertise in. So, Jim, welcome to In the Thick of It. Thanks, Scott. Delight to be here with you and to have this opportunity to have that kind of conversation that might be helpful to other founders. That's the whole heart behind this. So, why don't you give us a little bit of background, talk about what you did in your earlier career, and then maybe kind of how that led you to what it is you do today. Well, I started out as a programmer, so I was in the technology business down in the details. When I got out of school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, and there was an opportunity to do that. And about a year into it, I was working for Sears as a programmer and got recruited by a consulting company that wound up becoming Capgemini, which is one of the biggest of its kind. And I spent 25 years there. So I went from being a programmer to being a a manager of a team of people, and then running the branch that Capgemini had in Chicago. And while we were there doing that, my wife and I were living in Mount Prospect outside of Chicago. And so moved from one big city to another bigger city. And I had a great experience there over a significant period of time. And wound up in there becoming not only the guy who did that, but also someone who ran one of the divisions, which included a number of the branches, and wound up 
building a business, a, a national business across all the Capgemini branches that was $100 million. I had responsibility for sales and marketing and collections and service and all the pieces of a business that a founder does, except I didn't have to raise capital like you all do. That came from the mothership, so to speak. So I had a broad functional understanding of leading a business. And then I also had a pretty broad experience with different kinds of industries because we consulted to the whole Fortune 500. We also not only did IT services, but we also did strategic consulting and business process reengineering and outsourcing of different forms. Pretty broad exposure to a lot of different kinds of businesses. So I was actually able to retire from there with some options that I'd earned in 2002 at age 48 and spent some time working in my church, doing some other things until a couple of investments I made didn't work out so good. Had to go back to work and a friend from the consulting business was starting up a completely different kind of thing, a full service ice machine leasing business. And so he needed somebody in Dallas and I was the guy he wanted and I worked with him to create that company, found that company back from 2009 to 2014. It was a great experience, completely different than consulting to Fortune 500 companies, providing an ice machine to restaurants mostly and, and bars even, and anybody who needed it for whatever reason. And when that ended, I thought, well, what will I do now? You know, maybe I'll do something of service to people. And I looked for different ways of doing that. Sometimes the doors weren't open. Sometimes they wanted me to raise support to fund it. And that didn't work. And I finally met this guy who asked me what I feel called to do. And I said, I feel called to help people get unstuck, achieve their potential and grow closer to, to Jesus. He said, well, well, how about have you ever heard of Convene? And I had never heard of anything like a peer advisory board before. And so... When I looked into it, it was really great fit. I had a lot of experience facilitating conversations of different kinds. I had designed a lot of learning experiences, sales, project management, that kind of thing, based on adult learning principles. And so when I saw that opportunity, it was the step toward what I'm doing now. So you got to build a business within a larger business, and you kind of essentially co-founded another one. So you've got all kinds of experience working with massive, massive organizations as well as really small organizations. And I think that that has uniquely equipped you to be able to speak into other people's businesses. So why don't you dive a little bit more into Convene? And there are all kinds of groups out there like this. Convene is, is the group that you're leading a group for and that I've been a part of, but there's Vistage, and there's all kinds of others out there. Generally, paint the picture of what this concept is for those that might not know. The idea is that business owners are unique. They represent a really small part of the population, and they can't really talk to their people to get wise advice, wise counsel. And especially when they're smaller, they really can't afford to have a board and you can only talk to your spouse so much about what you're doing before they get sick of it. And you wind up getting isolated sometimes. So there's a dimension of isolation or even loneliness that business owners experience. And the other side of it is a lot of people get involved in business and building a business without ever having studied business. So one of the 
pitfalls you see with small businesses is they get to a certain size and they don't know how to grow beyond that. Um, they get stuck at a plateau. They do need some training to help them, new ideas to help them get through that kind of threshold. And so the idea of a peer advisory board was to bring together people sharing similar lives, uh, facing similar challenges, and be of counsel to one another at the same time as learning with one another. So the classic example of a peer advisory board is there's some form of training there's some form of issue processing where a person shares an issue and the others provide ideas and counsel from their experience on that issue. And one of the other benefits of that kind of issue processing is it's almost like ricochet learning. So, Scott, if you have an issue and you present it, it's a good chance somebody else in that room has that same issue. And while you're getting advice, there's high probability everyone else is getting advice on that at the same time. That's the core of what happens. The community that gets built helps deal with some of the isolation. I think people come for the ideas, but they stay for the community to have somebody to be aware of who they are, what they do, what their challenges are, someone to talk with. And then the other part of it is uh, most peer advisory board programs also include some dimension of coaching. And coaching is one-to-one a one-to-one -one activity as opposed to the group activity, which sometimes prepares for the group activity and sometimes is just a confidential conversation with the owner and, and the leader of the group. There were a number of things that you said that really resonated with me. One, you talked about kind of the ricochet learning and chances are that other people are going through something similar. And in my experience, it may be, I may not be going through that now. I may have gone through it in the past. And if I haven't, I probably will in the future. There's so much that's been learned that way. You talked about loneliness, and it's funny, as I was driving over this morning, I was listening to another podcast where another owner-founder was being interviewed, and he talked about that very thing. It's lonely, and it really is lonely when you're on your own, when you're at the top of the organization. And I think that's true whether or not you're an owner-founder or you're the head of, a, of another organization. You don't get the praise and the encouragement. You have to be the one that gives the praise and gives the encouragement. And in my own experience, one of the things that I've found is that your good days are even better than when you were working for somebody else. Man, your bad days are so, so much worse. And the other thing too, and going back to the idea of it is lonely at the top, whether you're the owner founder or you're running somebody else's business, there is really something different when you've got your own capital at risk. There's a different mentality. And for me, it's been so incredibly valuable to have regular cadence with other people that are in the same boat. And there's just a lot that others in the same spot can relate to. So the advice and the counsel that you get from everybody is great, but also just like you said, having that community that knows and has the same kinds of feelings is incredibly helpful. What does a typical peer group session look like? So there's a period of kind of setting, getting, gathering, getting everybody in the room warmed up. And usually after that, there's some form of check-in with one another. You haven't seen each other for a month. You have things you've been working on that maybe even were issues that got processed. And so we start by having a conversation where each person shares what's good going on in their world, um, some progress they've made, a challenge they face, and then areas where they ask each other for support. So that's the first part to kind of get 
warmed up. Then usually there's two other major parts to a peer advisory meeting. One is around learning, and the other is around that issue processing I was describing to you. The learning is important because, like I said, most CEOs or founders are not MBAs. They may not have even ever studied business um, or even taken a business class. So peer advisory board experience involves is kind of an MBA for entrepreneurs. As a group, decide together what is going to be important to study in the coming year. And then the, the organization usually will provide, in some cases, speakers, in some cases, content, in some cases, like what we do, multiple formats, learning formats. So speakers, sometimes learning material, other times, and then sometimes even videos that make sense to discuss and dig into in a deeper way. You talked about a lot of owner-founders don't have a business background. They don't have an MBA. I did get a business degree. I've got a marketing degree. And with that, there were obviously many marketing-specific courses. But to have a well-rounded business background, you've got to have your accounting and finance and management and so forth. But that was also 20 years ago. And one of the things that I have personally really appreciated is getting some refreshers on some of these things. And one of the areas that you've helped me tremendously in is the finance area. And yeah, I had to take managerial and financial accounting and I had to take my you know, basic finance class, but really understanding how to read a PL and balance sheet. I remember sitting down with you one day and just walking through and I look at the bottom line and I, I know whether we're you know making money or, or not. But understanding some of those things in between and being able to be more conversant, having an understanding of that has been incredibly helpful, whether it's talking to the bank or talking to other business owners and even setting internal targets has been huge. And not just on the finance side. I mean, we've brought in speakers that have talked about HR kinds of things and compliance kinds of things and technology and so forth. So having that kind of well-rounded set of topics and going through different things, it's not the same thing every time. So. I like what you said about most people don't have that background. And even if you do, I would say it helps you to go deeper. Scott, the other thing about it is when I remember what school was like, and I did study business and a lot of it was pretty theoretical and not that applicable to what I wound up doing in the business world. When we tackle a business topic as a group of CEOs and founders, we're digging into it from a practical, how do I implement it level? with other people that have the same desire and need to implement it. So it winds up being more of a discussion about what could be done, how that could be done, than it winds up being a lecture like we received in school. Adding to that, the practical application is such a good point. When I graduated from undergrad, I considered going and getting an MBA right out of school and if I'm being honest, I did that because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I wanted to buy myself two more years. Didn't end up doing it. And most business schools require at least two years work experience before they will even let you apply for the program. And back then there were a handful of schools that were opening it up to people straight out of undergrad. And at the time, I didn't really understand why they had this rule that you had to wait two years. And I totally get it now. You have to have some real world experience in order to really be able to apply the concepts and the things that are being taught. And having a group like this gives you that here's the learning, but here's how you can apply it. Not maybe someday, but now today. So that first part of the meeting is usually for a peer advisory board is learning oriented. The issue processing is really important. 
in my experience, sometimes people like the learning best. Sometimes they like the issue processing best. And sometimes they like the coaching best. And in my groups, it's about a third, a third, and a third. But the issue processing involves having the member do some thinking about that issue in advance. Many people find that's the best part to just have thought through it in an orderly way in advance. And then what we do is we send that information out that they've collected about the issue so that the others can weigh in on it. Maybe ask some clarifying questions in advance and think about it ahead of time. Not everyone is a shoot from the hip kind of person. Some people need to think about things in advance before they form an opinion and are ready to say what they think about it. So that sending out the information in advance is really important. And then when we get together, the member summarizes it. The team asks clarifying questions. We then get involved in council. And during the council portion of the discussion, the team is engaging with ideas while the member who presented is kind of listening. They're trying to figure out the ideas that really seem like winners. They're dumping the, not rejecting the losers. And the ones in between, they're trying to figure out, well, what could I add to that idea to turn it into something I could really use? And then at the end, we ask them to summarize what they got out of it. And at the next meeting, we'll follow up on that and see how they're doing with the progress. That's part of the check-in is that loop back to whatever progress is happening. And to have not just one time like that, to have 10 people or 12 people, or in our case, 14 people, provide input on your issue um, in your corner, coming from a broad set of experiences and different kind of business models, just doing it once would be pretty good, but you get to do that multiple times a year. That's really the kind of framework of a typical meeting, the check-in, the learning, and the issue processing. So that's the group aspect. What does a coaching session look like? You talked about that being one-on-one versus kind of a one-to-many or many-to-many. Yeah, one-to-one coaching is a powerful part of the process. The convene, the group I work with, raised that to a different level. We're the only group that requires the coaches to be trained as coaches and certified as coaches through the International Coaching Federation. And when I signed up to do this, to recruit and lead a group of people to in a peer advisory board format, I thought the coaching, no big deal. And then when I dove into the training, I realized coaching is a discipline in and of itself. And there's great value. Uh, Having spent 25 years in the consulting business, I know many, many times we would make a recommendation to a client to do something that would help them. And they would say, that's interesting. And they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't implement it. And I, I believe a big part of that was because it wasn't their idea. And the nice thing about coaching is coaching's aimed at, it's a process that tries to help the coachee, so to speak, think about something more broadly, look at it from different perspectives so that they come up with their own answers instead of the consultant giving the answer, the client comes up with the answer. And there's a whole set of ways that a coach does that to help them find the action they want to take on whatever topic is the focus of that coaching session. And again, you know, it's way more likely to be implemented if it's your idea, Scott, than if it's mine. I just had a light bulb moment. I can think about conversations we've had where you do a great job asking leading questions and you don't come straight out with the, hey, here's what I think you should do. But there are times where you do say, here's what I think you should do. And I sincerely appreciate those. And one of the things that I think is really important that makes those conversations valuable is 
you don't have the emotional attachment to the business, to the problem, to the person, to the partner, or whatever the situation involves. And you can be completely objective, but at the same time, for the owner that now needs to go do something about it, trying to break away from that emotional attachment to whatever the situation is, is really hard. But you need the nudge. You need that person to push you. And I can think of several things like that we've worked on. Generally speaking, what would somebody expect to gain or, you know, how would they benefit from being a part of a group or a coaching arrangement? Well, there's a learning dimension. There's the community dimension we talked about. There's working through difficult issues, but there's some others. You know, I, I think I mentioned already the idea of how can I be more profitable? How can I grow faster? Those are things we talk about regularly. I think also most smaller businesses don't have the means to have their own HR department. One thing about leading, and I know you said some of the bad things are really bad things. I would guess a good portion of those are people things. And so when you're in a difficult situation with a person and you don't know what to do, it's really valuable to have some other people to run that issue by. They tend to be one off and it's invaluable to be able to have someone that can help you through those issues. So I think those are the big things. In terms of performance, we're trying to help people grow high-performing businesses. We do it on a biblical foundation. Others do it on a, a more secular basis. But 85% of the people who are convened members across the country outperform the other businesses in their industries. We know that from benchmarking data. It wasn't survey-based. So I think you could expect to have that. Another thing we did, and this was survey-oriented, 97% of the people found transformation, either in their business or their life or their their leadership or some dimension. What should somebody look for if they're thinking about this? Hopefully this message is resonating. What would you tell somebody they need to look for in a group? Yeah, you mentioned Vistage, which is a non-Christian version of a peer advisory board, and Convene is an example of a Christian one. So first thing I think you decide, what values do you share with the organization you're considering? It's important, I think, to have shared values in these kind of conversations because you get close to the people in the groups and you want advice that's consistent with your values. That's one thing. I think it's worthwhile considering multiple formats. Not all groups have multiple formats, but like our group that you're in is an online format. We're one of the few that have a, a this kind of CEO peer advisory board in an online format. So the nice thing about it, I think one of the reasons you signed up for it was that it's more streamlined. You can do two two-hour meetings a month instead of taking six and a half hours like we do in my in-person team. So figuring out the format is important. The learning, I think, is important. Some groups just do speakers. Some just do content. And I think it's useful to have multiple learning formats. Different people learn different ways, learn best different ways. I think it's important to have some input to what the learning is going to be. Some groups, they do the exact same learning content for every group across the whole country in a given week or in a given month, I mean. What we do is we ask the members, as you know, what do you all want to learn this coming year? And there's a bunch of possibilities and we pick some major themes and then we figure out which speakers and which content we're going to use based on the input from the members about what they want to learn together. And then I really do believe that the coaching is really important. And to get good coaching, you need to have training on coaching. So 
that part is important. And then the last is the material and the speakers that are going to come from the organization that you're going to work with is are important, but the chair that you're going to work with is really important. That person's going to share life with you. So pick somebody that's got the right kind of experience, experiences like what you have, but also somebody you feel you can connect with and be comfortable with. I think those are five key factors in deciding which path to take. Yeah. A couple of comments on that. As you mentioned, there's different formats. There's, you know, an in-person format and there's a, a virtual format. And for me, the virtual format gives me flexibility. Instead of having to dedicate a whole day every month, I can break it up into smaller pieces. And it's also allowed that in my travels, which I, I travel a fair amount, it gives me at least the potential of being able to make a meeting. Whereas if it was the, you know, hey, it's the third Tuesday of the month. And if you got to be at a conference or you got to be, you know, at a client, like, sorry, you're, you're completely out of luck. You know, this gives me that flexibility. The other thing about the virtual aspect that I have appreciated is that I've got this network that's spread around the country. And just a few weeks back, I was in Denver and was able to go grab drinks with one of the guys in the group. And Two weeks ago, one of the people in our group was actually in Dallas for something, and they came and we actually had our meeting in our conference room. And so it's been really cool to, again, have this network of, of people around the country that when you're in another city, you can reach out to and, and that when they're in your city, they can reach out to you as well. One of the other things that I was thinking about, I'm sure that there are peer groups that are really oriented around a particular industry. And I think that that can be very, very valuable. I'm looking at something like a Y Combinator or one of probably dozens of other types that are really focused on tech founders. We've got attorneys, we've got marketing people, we've got other software people, we've got healthcare. It's really, really broad. And talking on my own advice for somebody that's looking for a peer group, I would tell you, consider whether you want to be completely focused on your industry or if there would be value to you in having diverse perspectives from people that are operating in other industries. That's a really good point, Scott. Peer advisory boards are trying to get people to be authentic in the conversations they're going to have in the group, to be transparent. And it's hard for that to happen if they're people from the same industry. Industry groups are great to go deeper on specifics in an industry, but there's only so many of the trade secrets you're going to share with other people in that same industry. So in a peer advisory board, you approach it a little differently. Like you said, you have people from different market segments, none in the same one, so that the transparency and authenticity is high. And you get a perspective on a business issue from different business models, which I think is really helpful. Sometimes a manufacturing idea is just what a software company needs to hear about. You built a business within a business. You co-founded this ICE business. Starting a convened practice is also kind of like starting a business. And as a result, you really have to source a lot of your clients and group members. I know you talk with lots of prospective members. What are the common objections you get from people who decide that they don't want to move forward with it? Well, the biggest one usually is time. Most small, medium-sized business owners are so busy working in the business that they can't imagine how they would take time outside of it to do something like a peer advisory board. 
And yet they aren't doing anything to change those circumstances typically. They're struggling with a lack of time, but they're not making any changes to facilitate it. So one of the very first things that happens with the business owners I work with is to help them figure out how they can move more of their time from tactical activities to strategic ones. Without doing that, without making some time for that shift, real progress can't get started. The very reason that they're saying they can't join is probably the number one reason they need to join. So that's the first one. Sometimes they'll say, well, yeah, I want to be in a, a specialized group. And I think there's some really good reasons to consider this kind of uh, group for learning. Sometimes they'll uh, say a different version of, I don't have time. Well, not now. You know, I got to finish this or I got to finish that. And the very thing they're working on is what they could get help with from the team. And even if it winds up being not the peer advisory board, because it's hard to fit into their life at that time, coaching is a lot more time efficient. A coaching session can be moved if something gets in the way. We can't really move the peer advisory board meetings. And you're very patient with me because I move <laughs> ours regularly. Right. And so some of the people that are kind of not sure they want to be in a peer advisory form can really benefit from the coaching. We use have access to the same materials um, have access to the same conversation skills that are involved in coaching, and it's easy to fit into your schedule. In our online team, we have two two-hour meetings a month and an hour of coaching. But with coaching, you really only need two one-hour meetings a month. And that's how we started, actually, was in that format. So sometimes it's about money. You know, they look at the cost of being a member and they say, well, that's a lot of money. And the truth is, it's some significant money. And yet, the goal of a peer advisory board is to get people 10x return on their money. The, the chair's job is really to make sure that we get the right people on the team because the chemistry of the team is important. So it's an invitation-only kind of a, a group. It needs to be a fit from both perspectives. But the other key thing the chair does is to help everyone get a return, like a 5x, a 10x, a 20x return on their investment in time and money. So when you're thinking about 20x, the money we're talking about is incidental compared to the track record of people like you who've had a significant impact, financial benefit on their business from being a part of a team. Somebody once told me that when you think of something as expensive, it's you don't see the value for what it is you're getting. And so I would challenge people to really think about what expensive is. And I will say that when I was a two or three person shop and you know, I was looking at the the cost. I I was kind of like, oh, how do I do this? Six years into this, I look back and there are multiple instances that I can look at and go, that one thing has more than paid for all of this. And I'll give a brief example. There was some small business funding that was available that, that came out a couple of years ago. And I remember you emailing me and saying, hey, have you submitted your application for this? And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take on loans. I don't, I don't need it. And you're like, Scott, this is long-term, dirt cheap. Even if you don't know what you're going to use it for, just get it. That has enabled us to do things that there is no way we would have been able to do. So that one little thing, that one thing has more than paid for all of it. It has an impact on your family and the kind of life you want to be living. And so if you want to release from that, one of the things we 
do is we have six essentials to make the most of your time in your life. And we talk about how to make those better and better over time. And that has an impact, not just for the business, but it has a peripheral impact on the, on the family as well. You know, the other factor is that most CEOs understand the idea of assets, like a piece of equipment that they need or a, a facility that they need. But usually the most important asset in every business is the CEO. And when the CEO gets smarter and gets better, the whole business benefits. So if someone is saying, well, I'm already investing in my development in some other way, great. But most times people aren't investing at all in their development and they're neglecting their most important asset, which is the leader at the top of, or the founder at the top of the organization. To make a small investment in time and money to improve that asset it pays back in amazing ways. When you were talking about how oftentimes the family of the, the owner founder kind of suffers, something that came to mind is that when you get involved in a peer group or even just in coaching, you're doing it because you want to get better and you're surrounding yourself with other people who also want to get better. And scripture talks about how iron sharpens iron. And when you're surrounding yourself with other people, I would submit that even from a secular perspective, if you're surrounding yourself with other people who are wanting to get better, it makes you better. And there's a compounding effect of that. How would somebody go about finding a coach or finding a peer group? Usually there's a website that facilitates it. Convene has a website where usually the chairs have web pages there, but there's someone that will talk to them about what might be a good fit for them based on their location. If they're willing to consider an online team, we've got people from all four time zones. So that works pretty much for anybody in any city. It doesn't have to be a big city where most peer advisory boards are formed. That's a key step. I think another is to talk to other people that might know someone who's in a peer advisory board and ask them what their impression and what their experience has been. That's really helpful. And then eventually it's to sit down with the chair who's going to lead the group that you're considering and get to know them, ask them questions, figure out if it's a good fit. That's great. Any final closing thoughts? Well, this work is a blessing to me. I really think about it as a self-funded ministry in a lot of ways because the people who run the businesses of the world are providing service that makes a difference to the to the overall culture of the world. And to have a chance to impact the people who lead those businesses and provide income for those families and to assist them in growing a high-performing business on a biblical foundation so that the people thrive and even the kingdom grows. That's been the best work I've ever had a chance to do. And being a consultant was great, but this is better. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. I was thinking a minute ago about the number of business owners that you have been able to work with and dozens, maybe even to the hundreds now. And I think about the impact that you've had on that group of people. But then I think about the compounding effect of the impact that you've had on those people's families, on those people's employees, on those employees' families. And that has to reach into the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people that benefit from it. And so, again, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing in general, and in particular, the work that you've done for me. And I'll close with this. One of the most consistent things that we have heard from founders that we've interviewed as, as guests is that they either have a mentor and they 
encourage everyone to go find a mentor. And the handful that haven't had a mentor have almost all said, I wish I had found a mentor early on. Mentoring can look very different. It can be formal, like what we're doing with our convene group, but it can also be informal too. Just having somebody a little bit older, a little bit wiser, a little bit further ahead that you can call and bounce ideas around. And so whether it is something formal like a convene or something that, you know, it's just finding that that person that's a little bit ahead of you, I encourage you, founder, go find somebody. That was convene chair Jim Woodward. From my personal experience, I cannot stress enough how important it is to have a mentor. One place you might consider looking for one is at convenenow.com. If you or a founder you know would like to be a guest on In the Thick of It, email us at intro at founderstory.us. 